Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, we took a break from our series last week on the anniversary service, and Pastor Johnny Hunt was here, but we're picking back up. And so in case you might not have been with us the first two weeks, let me just give you a little review of what we're doing right now. We're doing a series called I Follow, and there are eight messages here about the basic things of the Christian life or the Christ-following life. I shared with you in week one how that many of us have had some experience with church or religion And even if you were in a healthy church, chances are you heard a message on this topic and a message on this topic. And little by little, one piece at a time, you sort of picked up what it meant to follow Jesus. But I was concerned that we had um, an integrated um, sort of holistic view of what it meant to follow Jesus so that if there were any gaps in our spiritual life, we could fill those gaps. And here's the thing. I've been a Christ follower since I've been eight years old, but I've been excited about this series as well because you you never get too far in your Christian walk. You never get so far along that you don't need to go back and look at the very basics of what following Jesus is really all about. And another reason why I've been concerned about that is in our 21st century, the Christ following message has been so stretched out of shape that many of us are really struggling to know what exactly does it mean to follow Jesus? So we're looking at these eight steps, and today we're in the third. And I've tried to build this series so that week by week, we look at strategically what came before and what comes next. Week one was the Christian life, the Christ-following life, at its bedrock, at its foundation. And that is the understanding that God has made us an offer. And that that offer is everlasting life, membership in God's family, the presence of God living within us every day of our lives, and God will never jerk that offer back, even if we fail. So week one was I believe, and it was all about being assured of our relationship with God, because here is the thing. If Satan can, if he can make you doubt where you stand with God, he can do all kinds of damage in your life. You know, here's the thing, and I don't have time to go here. Goodness, I should have taken care of this in week one. But here's, you take any relationship, any human relationship you want to take, a marriage, parent-child relationship, if the person in that relationship does not feel secure when that person is secure, and, and you probably have seen that before, here's a person that doesn't feel secure, but a parent loves them very much, and the, and the child is secure. But if the child doesn't feel secure, then that child will get into a lot of bad stuff simply because of the feeling of insecurity. Satan knows that. So he wants to work that in your life and my life. I mean, God has accepted us. Jesus died for our sins. His blood paid for our sins. And so consequently, if Satan can cause you to question whether or not you actually have that relationship with God, then he can actually put distance there. So I felt like that's where we really needed to start. That was week one with a message called, I believe. But as soon as you believe and have that relationship, the next thing God wants is for you to share that relationship with someone else. That's why baptism is the very first thing that Jesus asked from you. Because baptism is acting out the story of the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. So 
we said week two, you testify through baptism, and then for the rest of your Christian walk, you share the good news of Jesus with other people. Today, i got to be honest with you, today is the talk that I've probably been most nervous about. And you'll understand why when I get into it. In fact, I told Mary Alice yesterday morning at breakfast, I said, you know, I just don't know. I don't know that I feel the excitement about this particular message because I know the challenge associated with it. I said, Mary Alice, can I read the message to you? And I read it to her. She said, this is the most important message you've ever brought in your life. So that helped me (laughs) get ready for this message. The title is, I plug in. Because after you believe, after you testify, You plug in with other believers. Let me start today's message with a statement that wasn't controversial in the first century. In other words, when the first believers in Jesus Christ formed the first churches for that hundred years or so, this was not a controversial statement. But 20 centuries later, in the 21st century, it's a very controversial statement. And here it is. If you walk in Jesus' steps, you will follow him into the church. Now, by church there, of course, we're talking about local bodies of Christ followers. So, again, that's controversial today. It was understood as bedrock in the first century. If you walk in Jesus' steps, you will follow him into the church. It is impossible to separate him from his churches. So, why are we so far away from the first century in the 21st century? Three reasons. I'm going to give you quick answers, and then we'll go back and look at these in more detail as we go through the message. But let me give them to you quickly so you'll understand. Why is it today that it's controversial to say, if you follow Jesus, you will follow him into a church? Well, the first reason, and New Springers, you know this is coming. You know right out of the box that the answer is going to be religion. Now, here's the thing. When religion defines the church wrong, the church will obviously seem wrong. Fair? In other words, if Jesus says this is what the church is and religion comes along 13, 14, 15, 4, 12, 18, 20 centuries later and says, oh, no, church is not what Jesus said. Church is this. And then we're going to look at that and we'll say, that looks wrong to me. And we're right. Because consequently, is we're, what we're doing is we're measuring the, the church based on something that was never intended to be the church in the first place. So the reason why we can struggle with that statement is because religion has so misshapen the church. Second reason, Satan. Just as God loves the church, Jesus loved the church and died for it, Satan hates the church. When you see how powerful the church was meant to be, you'll understand why Satan attacks the church more than any institution other than the family. Third reason, impossible expectations. You know, the church is a very interesting organism. And by the way, it's not an organization, it's an organism. An organism is a living thing. And a church is an organism. But if you think about these three characteristics of the church, it helps us understand why it's such a challenge. Number one, we have a perfect Savior and a perfect message and imperfect people. If you can see those three statements, one on top of the other with a little box, the first two would get a green check mark and the last one would get a red X because it's an imperfect people but with a perfect Savior and a perfect message. And that causes a challenge. You know, through the years, I've heard people say, I'm looking for the perfect church. I always think to myself, if I found the perfect church, I wouldn't join it because I'd screw it up because I'm not perfect. And so you never have a perfect pastor. You never have perfect staff. You never have perfect leadership. You never have perfect volunteers. And you sure don't have perfect people. 
because that's, that's what we, and see, it was Jesus, well, we'll get to this in just a moment, it was Jesus' idea. Okay, so with this talk today, I want to give you seven quick facts, Bible facts, and you'll see every time I give you these facts, I'm going to have biblical support for it, so that we'll understand we're not talking religion here, we're talking God. I want to give you seven quick facts about the church, so let's get on our horses and ride today. Here's the first one. Why is the church important? If all we had was this one, it would be adequate. But let's start with this. The church is what Jesus wanted. That, that's just the issue. It is what Jesus wanted. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock, the confession that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, upon this rock, I will build my church. You know what gives me great comfort having been pastor here for 35 years? It's not my church. You know, sometimes I get so stressed and overwhelmed with just the challenges that we face, and I drive home, and I ask Mary Alice, how do they talk anybody into doing this job? And Mary Alice will always say, and this punches a hole in my balloon, she'll say, they didn't talk you into it, God called you into it. Well, that, I'm looking for sympathy, that doesn't help. <laughs> you know what gives me great joy? It's not my church. I just serve, I serve this church. It's Jesus' church. I didn't buy it. He bought it with his blood. And the thing about it is the church is important because Jesus loves it. I mean, there's stuff that my wife loves I don't think is important at all. But it's important to me because Mary Alice loves it. And that's how the church is. Here's the thing. The Bible tells us Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So you learn two things from that statement. Number one, Jesus loves it. He loves it so much he ain't going to let anything touch it. He's not going to let anyone, anything come against it. Ephesians 5, 25, here's another statement. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was dying for the church. New Spring Church, Jesus loves you. See, it's real easy for us to see Jesus loves me individually. New Spring Church, Jesus loves you. Guys, I've been in the helm here for a lot of years, and I want to tell you something. I've watched. You show me a church where God's hand is on that church, and that church will never lack anything that it truly needs. Now, sometimes we've run right up to the wire, but I can testify there never has been a day in my 35 years that New Spring needed something and didn't have it. Why? Because Jesus loves New Spring Church way more than I could possibly love it, way more than you could. Isn't it great to be in a place that Jesus loves? So let's talk about what a church is. Because again, religion is so mystifying the church. In the New Testament, which of course was written in Greek, the word for church is the word ekklesia. Too much information. Ek is the, it's the Greek prefix that means out. And leso means I speak or to speak. So it means to call out. <laughs> well, basically, here's what would happen in the first century. There would be groups of people who would assemble, and they would assemble because they were attached to a particular concept or person. And they would be called the ecclesia. You should understand, ecclesia was a secular term. It was a generic term. It just meant, well, Caesar had an ecclesia. It would be Caesar's assembly. And, and there would be a runner who would go through the community and call out the people who belonged to Caesar's ecclesia. The governor had an ecclesia. The mayor had an ecclesia. There were trade ecclesias. And Jesus came along and said, upon this rock, this confession that he is Lord, Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. In other words, people who are called out from the way the world looks at things, people who are called out to be different. 
Now, hopefully you haven't had the experience I'm about to describe. Some of us have been around churches that misunderstood that, and they heard being called out as not being different, but as being weird. And again, I'm, most of you New Springs you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I mean, I remember when I, you know, when I was growing up, there were churches that said ladies could not wear makeup. And, you know, and, you, you know, and just, I mean, honestly, I won't go any further. Just some weird, weird stuff. And the idea is if you follow Jesus, you have to show up by looking really weird. That's not the kind of different Jesus is talking about here. You know, here's the thing. If you love those who hurt you, if you forgive those who have sinned against you, if you serve people instead of trying to get authority over them, you'll be different enough. And that's the kind of different Jesus is talking about. So that's what it means to the church is Jesus' assembly, Jesus, the people that Jesus has called out. Now, real quickly, there are a couple of misunderstandings about the concept of church that I want to correct right now. In our age, in the last probably couple hundred years, there have been those who began to identify the church as a building. You know, people will say, well, I passed the church. No, you didn't pass the church, you passed the building. Because we are the church. Those of us who are here, we are the church. You know, we actually, in the corona season, before we could regather inside, we thought about actually having a service in a park. Well, here's the thing. If we gathered in a park, we'd still be New Spring Church. So we are the people. Now, as, as usual in religion, the pendulum swings from one extreme to the other extreme. So there are those who say, well, if the church is the people, the building is not important. Hmm, let's work on that for a second. Here's a, here's a construct that's the equivalent. Um, you have a family? Well, your family is not your house. So technically, you could be homeless and you'd still be your family, right? So your, your house is not important. You could be homeless, right? Oh, you see what I'm saying? So, you, real, real quickly, we could go to either extreme. The building's important. The facilities are important because they're a means to an end, and they allow the family to function in its optimum way. But at the end of the day, the building is not the church. Here's the second fact. By definition, the church means assembling. Oh, what a strange time to teach this concept because you and I are living in the age of covid and because we're in the age of COVID, assembling has been a challenge. And we've, we've been through a season where we couldn't assemble at all, and now we're trying to work through how we can assemble, and we really don't know what lies ahead. So this disclaimer before I get into this concept. We live in unusual times. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, when COVID is passed, the church will be about assembling. It always has been. It is an assembly. And I understand right now, we're having to assemble in many situations virtually, but still at the end of the day, that is second to what God intended. A church is about people getting together. And the reason why I make that point is during this COVID season, some of us have gotten comfortable with, well, I'm just going to watch it on the internet or I'm going to watch it online or watch television. Well, we needed to do it during COVID, but we want to make sure that we don't ever get to the place where convenience begins to drive our concept of the church, especially when this season passes. Let me give you the Bible for that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, which is the first church service, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. In one place. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Here, and here's the thing I love about the Bible. There's so many verses in the Bible that are written to our times. 
Mary Alice and I read the scriptures every morning. And we're always amazed when we read, like right now we're going through Isaiah. And I, you read Isaiah and it's like, and that was written for our time. That was written for the 21st century, not seven centuries before Jesus. It's just the way the Bible works. Well, I'm going to read you a verse that was written to our times. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the Bible says, Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day. What day? Jesus' return drawing near. Hey, in Signs of the Times, a series we had this last summer and spring, we recognize that the Bible shows us Jesus is coming soon. That verse is written to us. So the church is an assembly. Let's tackle the elephant in the room because there's an elephant in the room. And some of you right now are saying, I wonder if Mark knows about the elephant in the room. I do. And one thing about New Spring, we're always honest. So here we go. Let's tackle the elephant in the room. I've known countless people say, I tried to assemble with other believers, but I had a bad experience. So I still follow Jesus, but not in a church. I did this last night and I don't have good sense. I'm going to do it again. Because it just blew me away when I saw the response. Can I ask you a question? Okay. How many of you have had, and my hand's going to go up here. How many of you have had a bad experience in a church? Look around. Okay. Yeah, Satan will make sure you have a bad experience in church. We saw that already. So what if you've had a bad experience in a church? First of all, let me affirm your experience was real. It was real. And I want to affirm that. And I want to assure you of something. When it broke your heart, it broke Jesus' heart. Could I say that one more time? When you had a bad experience in church, it broke Jesus' heart when it broke your heart. Whether you're talking about a leader falling or some, somebody mistreating you or being unkind to you or ungracious, that broke Jesus' heart. Because that's not Jesus, right? I mean, we would all agree with that. That's not Jesus. You have the Bible just like I do. That's not Jesus. How do you deal with that? How do you, how do you deal with the situation where you've had a bad experience in church and you're inclined to just say, okay, I'm going to throw the church down? Three things. Number one, I want to remind us we have a perfect Savior and a perfect message and imperfect people. The best people will let you down. And we need to be prepared to forgive and nurture. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that if a brother or sister falls into a sin, those of us who are spiritual are not to talk about them or hate them. We're to restore them and be careful that we don't fall. Okay? So it's really important for us to be prepared to forgive. You know, here's the thing about being together with people. The closer you are and the longer you're close, the more opportunities you have to agitate someone, right? I mean, I I remember when the internet was getting to be a big thing in social media, you know, back in the early days, and I was having all these people come to me and say, you know, I I ran into somebody I went to high school with 30 years ago, and we reconnected, and it's like we never were apart. We just picked up right where we left off. And I want to say, sure, you haven't had 30 years to annoy each other. Duh. You, you, you live in the same house for 30 years, and my guess is you'll annoy each other a little bit. And so that's the first thing to remember. Here's a big one. Here's the second thing. Many churches don't know what a church is supposed to be. Oh, i got to take a deep breath on this. So what you were in was not a real church. Did I have the courage to say that? Yeah, I did, because Jesus said it. 
See, that's the thing. If you're in something, if you're in a toxic group that is not really a real church, then what, what Satan would love to have you do is he would have you, have you look at that and say, well, I guess this is what a church is. And you walk away and say, I don't want any part of that. But, but really what you saw was not a real church. Jesus, Jesus called this clearer than I possibly can. In Matthew 15, he said, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So consequently, there are organisms that are not planted by Christ. And Jesus said, ultimately, they'll be exposed. So what do we do? Look at this. So ignore them. Move on. Jesus said they are blind guides leading the blind. Now, again, I'm not talking about a church that has an issue here and there. I'm not talking about churches that struggle. Lord knows that's New Spring. But I'm saying if you're in a place that is not what Jesus talked about, then you just move on and you ignore that group of people. Jesus said they're blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into the ditch. So number one, we have to be prepared to forgive each other. Number two, it's important for us to recognize whether or not we were in a real church when we got hurt. And here's the third thing. Satan will attack any true church that's making a difference. Lord knows we feel that here. I mean, we're not being able to have Judgment House this year because of COVID, but New Springers know we've been doing Judgment House for well over a decade. We know as we get close to Judgment House, all hell's going to break loose the week before. I mean, we're going to feel Satan's hot breath because he is going to attack us. And Satan attacks with three ways, and these I'm going to let them all start with the letter T. The first one is trouble. Anytime a church steps forward to do a work from God, Satan is going to bring trouble to that church to try to He's going to try to get them to quit doing what God wants them to do. I mean, listen, guys, just inside stuff. I know if I'm going to talk about certain topics, I'm going to get hammered the week before. I know that. Mary Alice and I get ready for it. We know. We know. If I talk about spiritual warfare, if I talk about prophecy, if I'm about to give a clear-cut presentation of the gospel, I just know I'm going to get hammered. I'm going to be in spiritual warfare. Show me any church that's doing great things, and Satan is going to try to give trouble to that church. And then the second thing is tragedy. And we've had our share of tragedy at New Spring. Um, what Satan would love to do is just get people to give up and say it's too painful to serve God. But this third one, and just hang with me for a second because this word is going to have to have context. And that's tares, T-A-R-E-S. Jesus told a story. Hey, we should know what this means in Kansas. Jesus told a story about a farmer who was planting wheat. And during the night, Someone who hated him came into his wheat field and planted weeds. Now, I've read that story for years, and I wonder, how exactly do you plant weeds? But this dude did. He planted tares. Now, I've been told, I don't know this, but back in Bible days, there was a weed called the Darnell weed that looked just like wheat, but it had an empty head. There was no grain in it. Oh, don't you love Jesus' inference there? So in other words, Jesus is saying, look, I'm planting my church and I'm planting wheat there. I mean, there there are people there that are really my children, but the devil comes along and he plants weeds. Well, we're being honest with each other today, so let's just get even more honest. What are we talking about here? I think sometimes and often Satan will plant a weed at the top. He'll put a leader in who's not real. Because see, if he could get you to follow a leader who's not real, 
you would hear that leader because, you know, just like Darnell weeds look like wheat. I mean, this person may look like a real believer, but then that person's going to sail right towards scandal someday. And guess what happens to the church? Wow. We were following somebody we thought was a true person, and we found out. So you understand why Satan does? I mean, I mean, here's the thing. We have scandals all the time, and I understand how that a godly person can still fall into sin. But I do think a lot of times Satan plants a weed in there at the top. Second thing that Satan will do is he will plant people in a congregation who are not truly Christ followers. I'm not talking about people who are still exploring. That's, I'm not talking about that at all because that's, that's part of our culture here at New Spring. But he will plant people in key positions who are not real. And then sometimes he'll plant ideas that are weeds. So that's the thing. If, if Satan wants to come and attack the work of God by bringing trouble, tragedy, and tears... But here's the bottom line. If Satan can separate Christians from the church, the promises Jesus made to you about the things he would do for you through the church, he can, he can rip away from you. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless your relationships. He wants to bless your family through the church. See, here's the thing. The church is like the, it, the, church is like the umbrella, where if you're under the umbrella of God's protection, then you're, you're in a place where God can bless you and God wants to do things. And I mean, get you separated from the church, then you're going to be easy pickings. So what do you do? Now, I know I'm talking to New Spring, but people watch us from all over the world. So what do you do? You find a true church, not perfect, but you find a true church where God is working and you plug in and you commit yourself and your family to the power and the promises there. Um, let me deal with a couple of practical issues. What about church membership? <laughs> Some of you have been at New Spring for 10 years. You never heard me talk about church membership, but we do have it here. And we encourage people to explore membership at New Spring. It just simply means commitment. We have something here called Life at New Spring, which is kind of a, 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 an orientation of all the things that are going on here. But basically, church membership means you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've followed him in believer's baptism where you want to, and then you just want to connect. That's, we're pretty simple here. <laughs> we're not too complicated. We're about as complicated as the word of God. That's what separates us from religion. But what, what about church membership? Okay, be honest. It is an extra biblical concept, but the principle is not extra biblical. Extra biblical means it's, it's outside the Bible. Tell you why. In the first century when the church was founded, cities only had one church. That's why you read like Corinthians, Thessalonians, Ephesians. Those are towns, Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica. These are towns where the church was. And so it was written to the church in this town. But as, as Christianity grew, there, there got to be more churches in one town. So consequently, there was the idea of I am connected to this individual church. Something else. In the first century, it was very rare for people to relocate. You would live in one city pretty much your entire life. But how many of us, especially in a transient city like Wichita, how many of us accepted Christ? I mean, I did in Texas, in, in that church, but now I'm part of this church. And so membership came to be a way of saying, I am committed to this family of faith. Let me talk about something else here, just practical stuff. Why are there, why are, why are there churches with subtle differences? Every once in a while, and we're not part of a denomination, but every once in a while I hear, well, why all the denominations? Well, it's factual that there are Christians with differences of views about peripheral things. 
I mean, there are churches that have different ideas about prophecy. I mean, they just see prophecy differently than, than we would. And, 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 that, and they're, they're sound on so many areas, but they just see a peripheral area different than we do. Well, one of the questions that naive people might ask is, why don't we just jam everything together? Well, there are a couple of issues with that. Number one, if you put everybody together in one context, there might be conflict. And instead of conflict, you would be able, actually, even though you might disagree about something on the periphery, you'd be able to cooperate together. Let me go a step further. I've never taught this before. I believe churches have different assignments. New Spring Church, it's very clear what our assignment is. We exist for people who are, who are not here yet. We exist to make a difference and see. So, yeah, I, I think there are churches, maybe because of their location, maybe because of the size of their communities, they're going to have a little bit of a different focus. But I am convinced that God has slightly different assignments for different churches, different personalities. Sixteen years ago, we went through a transition. And we went from being a very traditional church to a church that was outwardly focused. Now, there were a wonderful group of people who loved this church very much and were faithful and loyal to this church who said, we're not really sure that's the focus we want to have. You know what we did? Instead of splitting and separating angrily, we said, let us plant you. Let us help you start a church. We'll actually cover your first year's expenses. And so instead of conflict, there was partnership. And this church is not very far from us, and they're doing a wonderful job. They just have a different assignment than we have. Does that make any sense at all? I don't think I've ever taught that before, but I'm convinced that's true. And I don't, I'm not talking about different assignments at the core doctrine. I'm just talking about slightly different missions. Here's the third thing. and I'm, I, Can I have like six extra minutes right now? The church was meant to be a showcase of diversity. Could I say that one more time? The church was meant to be a showcase of diversity. Our God loves diversity. Our God created diversity. If you don't believe that, just look around at the people here. Even with masks, every one of us is different from the other person, both internally and externally. See, one of the problems that the church developed through the years was this idea of sectarianism. And that sectarianism could be based on class. It could be based on race. It could be based on all kinds of things. It could be based on parts of the world, parts of the country. It's not what Jesus intended. I want to read to you the scriptures. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, the Bible says, In Christ's family, in Christ's ecclesia, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew. That was the racial issue back in the day. There can be no division in Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds very, very obvious to us, but in the first century, that was radical stuff because there was slavery in the Roman world and there was a class system and there was, it was a male-dominated culture. And so for Jesus to come along and say, in my, in my family... There isn't this distinction of value between one person and another person. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. And you can put any races you want to put in there. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When he in his own body on the cross broke down the wall of hostility. Good morning, America. Take a look at that. Do you know that in the temple worship, there was what was called the court of the Gentiles? And there was a wall that separated the races. 
And the Gentiles understood that if they broached that wall, they would be killed. And that's why the Bible comes along and says Jesus tore that wall down. Jesus broke down the wall that separated us. Now, one more time, let me read that. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Can I just say one more thing today? If there is any racism in your heart, it is not from Jesus Christ, and you need to deal with that today because this world may function that way, but not Jesus' family. If there is any sense of classism in your heart, you need to deal with that today because it does not belong in Jesus' family. I'll just tell you what's been in my heart. 16 years ago, what led the transition was I believed that the church was not getting its message across. I mean, there was a jargon that we spoke in. There was was sort of like this internal culture, and God just spoke to me and said, Mark, if you're going to build bridges to people, you're going to have to think about the people who walk in your doors and what they experience. 16 years ago, we did that, and we paid a frightful price for it. But it was the right thing to do, and God brought thousands of you here as a result. But about five years ago, it was like the Holy Spirit of God said, Mark, we're about to sell into the most polarized time in our life. And the church has got to look different from the rest of the world. The church that's going to have a voice is a church that does not have these walls up. And may God help us to become that. May God work in our midst. Number four, and I just touched on this. The church's focus is to be outward, not inward. Do you want to know what's wrong with 99? Well, that's maybe too high a percentage. Do you want to know what's wrong with the lion's share of churches in the United States, why we have not been effective? It's because we're inwardly focused. We talk about caring about people who are on the outside. I'm almost going to tell you the nasty little secret of most churches. It's like the people in the, in the church, are, they, they look at themselves as consumers. Do I like the music? What is my family going to get out of this? I mean, those may be fair questions down the road, but... And it's like, we pay the bills, and we want the preacher to say what we want him to say, and we'll just come together, and he'll put another layer of lacquer on the already convinced, and then we'll come back and tee it up next week. I'm telling you, that is what is wrong with the American church. Jesus never wanted that. That is foreign to him. The church was always about people who weren't there yet. And our job is to do that. A moment ago, I I said something, and if I left it hanging, let me explain. I said, when we decided we were going to focus on people who weren't here yet, we paid a frightful price. In 2004, we were averaging around 1,200 people in attendance. Now, some of this was attrition, but over the next four years, 800 people walked away. Now, we never dropped below 1,200 because a lot of you were coming in while they were leaving. But it really pretty much came down to this one thing. Are we going to be a church that's about us as consumers? Or are the people who are going to gather here say, I am here to help build bridges to people who are spiritually unresolved in everything I do, my giving, my volunteering, my life at New Spring is going to be about that. And here's the cool thing. Thousands of you came here because you felt disenfranchised from the outside. You couldn't figure church out. It was like, what's this about? I don't understand what they're trying to do. But you came here and it's like, oh, I finally get it. And thousands of you came here because of that. And thousands of you also came here because you were Christ followers. And you always dreamed there might be a place like this. Let me introduce a new statement to New Spring. 
The people inside New Spring exist for those who are outside. We want outsiders to become insiders so there will be no outsiders in eternity. That is who we are. You say, well, Mark, I'm looking for a church that's about me. Don't let the back door hit you. Because, you know, the, it's one of those Jesus ironies. Have you ever, I'm going to do a series someday called Jesus Ironies because Jesus says the way up is down, the way to receive is to give, the way to, to lead is to serve. I mean, there's all these beautiful ironies. There's a beautiful irony about the church. It is strange that when people are about others in a church, they get the most out of church, don't you? Well, I wish I could get that. I, treat, I teach pastors all across the country. I wish I could get that across. Everything we do is to build bridges. We're a simple church, and we ask three questions about everything that happens on this campus. Number one, is our material helpful? Number two, is our presentation engaging? And number three, is the environment that you're in conducive to experiencing truth? Our goal is to set the table. I wouldn't give you five and six and seven real fast. Okay, here we go. Whatever Jesus chooses, God blesses. I want to be part of the church because God blesses the church. Jesus chose it. Jesus loves it. Whatever Jesus chooses, God blesses. Problem a lot of times with me is I'm saying, God, bless what I'm doing. And God is up in heaven saying, Mark, do what I'm blessing. Number six, you can only know your true purpose, your, your greatest true purpose inside the church. Because Jesus set it up that way. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are very successful in what you do to make a living. That's just a means to an end. That's not why you're on the planet. In the church, you're going to find out your ultimate destiny. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. I've said this for probably 30 years here. Three things about you if you're a new springer. Number one, there's something you can do. There is something only you can do. And there's something that won't get done if you don't do it. And that's why we have a culture of volunteerism here. Number seven, real quickly, the church is undefeatable. It may not feel like that in the 21st century, but the church is undefeatable. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell cannot stand against this church. Now, here's the thing. This is beautiful. Can, can I have two more minutes? Okay, please. Okay. So a lot of times when we hear that statement, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, we sort of get the idea the gates of hell are attacking the church, but the gates are static. They don't move. What that basically means is the church of Jesus Christ is a juggernaut and the gates of hell cannot even stop the church. And what's beautiful about that statement, and Jude clears this up for us in the next last book of the Bible, he basically sees the church crashing through the gates of hell and snatching people who would have been hell and bringing them into the family of God. That is what God intended us to do. What does New Spring offer? Well, this is a trick question. Number one, explore. Because here's the thing, a lot of us do the same thing every week and we don't really find out what all is here. I mean, it's like every once, you know, we have a coffee shop and it is awesome. It's as good as, and you know the place I would like to say right now, but I'm not gonna mention its name at half the price, right? So I hear people talk about, I keep hearing about a coffee shop. I'm like, you haven't found it yet? No, no. Well, how do you attend New Spring? Well, I come in the door South Auditorium and I go out those doors. Well, the problem is it's only on the side of the campus. So you have to explore. Now, I'm not talking about the coffee shop. I'm just talking about ministries here. Because if you're here and you do the same thing every week, you need to explore. I mean, we have Kids World groups, Starting Point, Married Life, Worship Ministries, Prayer, Technology, Volunteering, Creative Arts, on and on it goes. Explore. This is a great church. 
And you're an awesome people and you're doing great things. Second thing we offer is truth and grace. We never ask anybody to do anything that the word of God doesn't say. You never do anything because of New Spring Church. We just want to be faithful. We don't want God to take his hand off of us. So you will find truth, but you'll always find grace. The third thing, you'll find a place to belong. With everything you've heard about the church, what can I promise you today? I can promise you that we're real. We're backwards sometimes. People tell me I don't like organized religion. I say, we love New Spring. We struggle with organization. We're backwards sometimes, but what you see is real. We're awkward sometimes. We're human and we fail and we feel it, but what you see is real. We paid a big price for this, but God has made it so worth it. This is a church where it's okay to be real. We believe the truth. We never duck that, but we're real. And God's hand has been on us. And if you're not a new springer and you're praying about it, well, we never try to talk anybody into coming. But we would love to have you come join us. Well, one thing, and then, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so late. Here's my biggest concern. My biggest concern is that someone's had a bad experience in the church and they give up on Jesus. Don't let that ever happen to you. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, just bow your heads with me. If you're watching online, you say, Mark, I want Jesus in my life. Don't give up on him because somebody who claimed to be a Christian wasn't what he or she was supposed to be. Jesus will never let you down. He died for you on the cross. His blood paid for your sins and he arose from the grave. Pray with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I put my trust in you. I believe he arose from the grave. Forgive me and make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, text prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. I have a gift box for you. It's got a Bible and a book and some great stuff. And you can pick it up out at guest services today at at any info center. But all you have to do is text pray to 97,000. Thank you for your patience today. Thanks for being here. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.